we have a really special offer today and I'm so excited to share it with you. The ultimate giveaway. Do you want to receive one of our planners for free or would you like access to our Instagram growth course worth £59? At My Bump to Baby, we are massively passionate about making sure parents have the protection in place that they need should the worst happen. If you choose to book in with your nearest family law solicitor today to have a look and a chat about your will, or if you book in with your financial advisor to review your family protection or your pension, we will give you access to either our Instagram course with £59 or we will send you one of our amazing planners completely free of charge. To qualify for this, all you need to do is fill in the form at the bottom of this podcast and we will book you in with your nearest advisor. You don't need to take out a policy and you don't need to take out a will. It's just simply having a chat to make sure that you have the protection that you need should the worst happen. We are so excited to bring you this offer and we hope you take advantage of it because protecting your family is the most important decision that you could make today. This podcast is sponsored by My Bump to Baby Family Protection and Legal Directory. To find your nearest advisor or family law solicitor, head over to www.mybumptobaby.com forward slash family protection legal. Do you love the idea of being your own boss? What about saving money on childcare because you can actually work flexibly around your family? My Bump to Baby is rapidly expanding and we are looking for people to run their own pregnancy to preschool hubs in their local area. Full training is provided, ongoing mentor support, fantastic regular team incentives, a bonus scheme, uncapped commission, review products for free and review days out too. If you are interested in being the My Bump to Baby Manager for your local area, email us business at mybumptobaby.com. Limited space available. Hello and welcome to 50 Shades of Motherhood, uncensored, unhinged and unapologetic, guilt-free, real, raw mum chats with me, your host, Carla Lett, oversharer and founder of My Bump to Baby, the UK's leading pregnancy to preschool directory. Now, this week is a subject that is very dear to my heart. It is all about premature babies. And if you've read my blogs and why 
my bump to baby began, you will know it's because our little George came nearly seven weeks early. And on the 17th of November, it is World Prematurity Day. So I just thought it would be a great opportunity to invite on another premature baby mum so we can share our stories, what happened, how we felt, and just everything about being a premature baby mum. I know when I was a premature baby mum, well, I still am, but I mean, when it actually happened, I didn't kind of know where to turn. If there was something that I could listen to, something that would make me feel a bit more positive, I would have loved that. So I'm hoping that other premature baby mums will be able to find this podcast and listen and be filled with hope. So... I hope you enjoyed this episode. My guest today is the lovely Rachel Hickson, and she is a mum of two. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of 50 Shades of Motherhood. And we are going to be talking all about our premature baby story. So hello, Rachel. How are you? Hi, good, thank you. It's lovely to have you on. Thank you. So our little boys, they came early, didn't they? Um, And it's World Prematurity Day next week, Rachel, which is on the 17th. So I just thought this was a perfect opportunity to talk about our stories and and what we went through, how we felt to help other mums out there. And also if other mums out there, if they haven't been through it, they can also understand what it's like being a a mum of a premature baby because it is tough. Yeah, it is. It's it's very tough. And um, it's one of those things that I think unless you're going through it or you've been through it, you just, you don't understand. It's, no. it, you can sympathise and, and you can, you know, empathise, but you just don't really understand. It's a very strange, strange thing. It is. It is. So, so Rachel, going right back to the beginning then, was Harry planned for? Yeah, we, we obviously didn't expect him to come early. That was a, a massive shock. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there was no kind of expectation. There was no warning that he would be early. I literally just one day went. In, well, I just thought, you know, what what's going on? I feel a little bit strange. Oh. It was the middle of the night. I woke up just feeling like it just something wasn't quite right. My fiance at the time was on night, so he was at work, and I'm ringing him at like three, four in the morning. Like I just don't feel right. I'm going to go to hospital. And they went straight to the delivery unit, which is where I was told to go. And, and they were kind of just a bit, they weren't dismissive, but they kind of obviously, um, they're asking me all these questions. And I'm, I'm like, I don't understand what you're asking me. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then when they did uh, an examination, I was 10 centimetres dilated. How many weeks were you, Rachel? Uh, I was 28 weeks at the time. Oh, God. 12 weeks early. Yeah. Yeah. Very scary. I'd not had any obviously it was my first baby and I've not had any like birthing classes I just was like I've just not looked at any birthing plans it, obviously that kind of happens after that point really so I was kind of a little bit blind to everything going on <laughs> oh my goodness that is frightening so so before that your whole pregnancy was just going smoothly then yeah yeah everything was um, the only thing that they'd noticed was that I'd had been tested for strep B so uh, they knew I had strep B, which meant that I had to be on a drip throughout labour when I, I did go into labour. But there was nothing at all to say that I'd be having a premature birth. Just absolutely nothing. No warning signs at all. And was there a reason that he came early, Rachel? 
No, um, they still don't know to this day the reason why. Um, and I've since had a full-term baby as well because we did ask the questions when we were planning baby number two, is it likely to happen again? And they would, you know, the, the answer kind of was, we, we, we'll never know for sure, but there's just nothing, um, you know, that we're aware of that would force an early, an, another early um, birth for you. And you'll probably go full term next time, which I did. So, oh yeah, they've just no, no idea why at all. Gosh, that's crazy. Because mine, mine started... Um, Basically, in the in the twenty week scan, I think that's when you go for your your checks, don't you? I mean, I'm always one of these people. I'm like, I'm sure there'll be something wrong, you know. Like, and um, I had a low lying placenta, yes, uh, and and that is where your placenta is kind of covering the cervix, the exit, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and the the gap between was just not enough to get a, a baby through without it being dangerous. So they were like, well, normally when this happens, nine out of ten of the ta- nine out of ten times, as your baby grows, um, the placenta moves out the way ready. So they weren't too concerned about it. Um, yeah. And then around, I think it was around 27 weeks um, when I was due to, around the time I was due to get married, I started getting these bleeds and I was like, this is really weird. And every time I went, um, I had one, I had to go into the hospital. Um, And what they do is they would uh, put a... um, something in my hand because what it means is it means when you have a bleed like that it could mean that the baby could come anytime wow. yeah it's weird um so so um so they put like a um something in my hand ready to give me blood if he just came anyway it was it was just ongoing constantly so I'd always have to stay it worked out I think every weekend I was having to go in there um and then I was having to kind of stay in there and then um for over 24 hours and then they'd let me out again but what happened is the bleed started getting stronger um, yeah. and, and more and more of them, um, more frequent. Um, so I managed, luckily, to get married on the wedding day because that was a bit of um, a <laughs> thing. Yeah. I was like, um, will I still get married? And they were like, well, <laughs> we don't think so. You know, if you're coming in all the time, it's likely you might come early. But it got, yeah. it got to the point, Rachel, where he was like, I was going in that often and nothing was happening, I actually started to not believe what they were telling me. I was like, no, it was fine. So there was a couple of times that I didn't go in, and I should have. Um, And then one of the times I... um, on the last time that I went in, um, I, it was seven weeks before he was due, and I went in for a bleed, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was like, oh, I hadn't slept the night before, and I was like, oh, I just feel like a little bit of blood had come out because I was so used to kind of ignoring it a little bit. I know that sounds a bit bad. I was like, I was like, Oh, I'm going to go back to sleep. I'm too tired to get up. But then something in my head said, just get up. And I'd literally turned on the light in the, um, in the, um, ward room and my bed was covered in blood, like (gasps) literally clocked. It was, do you know, it was frightening. I didn't know what to do. And then I remembered that, I've stayed in there that often that people ring their bells all night, you know, like, cause yes. they want the nurse to help them. And I remember how annoying it is when you're trying to sleep. <laughs> so I didn't want to wake anyone else up. So I started trying to walk to um, the reception and I could just feel blood, like literally pouring out of my body. Uh-huh. Um, and 
and in the end I just went back to the room and I pressed the bell and I just felt so faint and they were like oh my god like it was all just mad so they checked my cervix yeah. and then they were like oh my god I think it was um it was placenta previous so basically the placenta had just come away and you know and it was really dangerous so they whizzed me down uh for the c-section and luckily they, my mum managed to get hold of Danny and he came in time um, yeah. but at the time I honestly because I'd lost um, liters of blood I actually just felt like I was dying I don't yeah. know if you've ever been through that before where you just feel like so I felt so calm it was really yes. strange Have yeah you ever had I, anything? yeah I, I mean I didn't at any point feel like anything was wrong with me or whatever it was really weird um but I did feel like dead relaxed because well they just kept saying to me because I, I was in labor for five days um and they literally were like you're not leaving this room the, the bathroom's there if you need to go to the toilet I had to use bedpans just in case because they were that worried if he was that small that you know he might just kind of fall out kind of thing which he definitely didn't oh. <laughs> and yeah so I had to use like bedpans all the time and, and I wasn't allowed out of the room for five days and I've never I think I lost all the muscle in my backside because I've never ever sat so still for so long oh. and I literally I was you know I could go to the toilet and back to bed and that was it led down couldn't move um but I've just felt so, it was weird just really really calm because he kept saying the more stressed you are in the situation the earlier we'll have me to keep him in as long as we can and so I managed like five days and oh. they were on the point they were going to put me up to the, the ward and take me off the delivery suite because they were you know they were that convinced that nothing was going to happen and that I could maybe get through another few days and then as soon as they came and told me that's what they were going to do all the contractions started it was like <gasps> listening to like you know I'm not going up to the delivery suite uh, to the ward I'm staying on the delivery suite oh. and so yeah <laughs> oh my gosh it is so scary though isn't it like it's scary but it's it's weird because it's like you're not really you're there but you're not really there yeah like, yeah it is very surreal it's like yeah. saying they tell you all these things and you're thinking no it's not going to happen I remember them saying you know we'll, we, if we could move you we'd put you on a, like a wheelchair and take you up to look around the neonatal unit so you know what to expect but we just don't want to move you so I, you know, and I was thinking, well, you know, they're, they're making this sound like really bad. And I just remember thinking, I can't, you know, mm. it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Nothing bad's going to happen. <laughs> and I just remember being as calm as possible, thinking like, it's not, you know, it won't be bad. He'll still stay in. This dilation will like go back closed. And I was yeah. like, that's what would happen. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? How I know I was, well, I knew that there was a chance George could come early because of this. And what I did to prepare myself is, I know it sounds really weird and other people might not think that, but I started Googling, what will a child look like if they're born at this date? What yes. will it look like if they're born at this? Every week I did it. Every week I was yeah. getting um, a notification from those videos that you get. I think it's what to yeah. expect app. And I was yeah. like, right, I'm on this week. What will he look like? What will it look like? So I was mentally trying to prepare myself for what yeah. I would see. But I think it's at the time you do kind of think, oh, it'll be okay. And I think I think that's that's a lot of it, isn't it? And um, I don't know about you. I mean, George came via C-section. Section was Harry. Did you give birth to him uh, vaginally? Yeah, yeah, he was a natural birth. Um, and I think what they were saying was, it's the smaller they are, the harder it can be because the, the bigger the baby, the more they kind of like help themselves with gravity and and things like that. 
but he was three pound two when he was born. He was, he was like literally the size of a bag of sugar. He was tiny. Um, but yeah, so it, it was quite hard. I think, you know, that's what I recall mm. um, because he wasn't helping himself at all. And I remember them saying like, you really need to like push really hard now because he's getting a bit stressed and uh, obviously they have the monitor on all the time. But yeah, no, he, he came very naturally really. Oh, yeah. did he get, did he get whisked away straight away or? Well, he got put, there's there's like, um, in each delivery room, there's like another table that obviously where they put the baby on once baby's born, Uh, this was at Blackpool. And so they had like a team of people. It it was almost like giving birth to an audience really, because it was like a team of, I recall it being like three or four people for um, Harry and then there was like the midwife and someone else had come in to help her. My husband was there, that, well, even my fiance at the time. Um, but yeah, I remember, I, I, there must have been about 10 people in the room uh, when I was giving birth. And but most of them were the team there for Harry to make sure that, you know, he had everything that he needed and then he could deal with anything really because he didn't know what they were going to get really. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, mine was the same. It's frightening, isn't it? Cause you're looking around at all these people and it's like, yeah. what the hell? And yeah. um, when, when George came, I mean, when George came out, I remember I was not with it cause I've lost that much blood. And I think I was yeah. maybe having a transfusion or I might have, I can't remember, but I remember feeling really sick and I didn't know he'd come out. And then they said basically they'd had to resuscitate him when he came yeah. out and yeah. the cord was round his neck. Um, they were like, so lucky you weren't at home. You be- you would have both died if you were at home. And I think that things like that, when you're like not feeling right anywhere, oh my God, I couldn't get, I couldn't get it out of my head. Um, yeah. and he was just whisked off straight away. I mean, I think I saw him for a split second and he was gone. Um, yeah. And that, that was really tough. Um, yeah. yeah, John got managed. They said, you know, take a quick picture and then he's going. And they took him out of the room in the incubator to take him up to neonatal unit and then next minute they rushed back in with him because there had been a problem with something um but i think it was more with the incubator but then with harry um so they like changed a few things around and then off they went again straight up to neonatal unit and that was it that he was you know he was gone and i have to obviously deliver the placenta and i needed stitches and mm. but like you say he's just gone it it's weird it's so weird it's so weird and then you and then um you go back up to that delivery suite and and I tell you this this was the part that still gets me now that mums have to go through you're going up there and there's people with the babies and all you're hearing is babies crying and you're there you've had your baby and it's gone yes oh my god it was awful yeah it was really strange like we were we have we were waiting for a bed on the neonatal ward because we were lucky that we were going to be able to go and stay there for a couple of nights. But like you say, it was it was so strange because I'd been in this room for five days, nurses with me all the time, at least two nurses in the room all the time. Um, and, and we'd just been sat there. And next minute after, we'd, you know, we'd been born and everything, and then they brought my tea and toast, which is like the best tasting tea and toast oh, ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing beats that tea and toast, does it? Yeah. Oh, that's it. But John had like literally been able to stay with me the whole time. They got him beanbags on the floor and, and he slept on the floor literally the whole time. He never left. And um, the next minute, as soon as he was born, he was like, right, John's going to have to go home now. You're going to go up to the delivery suite. And I remember I just absolutely burst into tears. I was like, you know, you can't, you can't do this to me now. I literally can't cope mm. that you've taken him away. Now you're taking my husband as well. And he's going to have to go home after all of this. Anyway, the the room wasn't quite ready on the neonatal unit where we were both going to be able to stay for a couple of nights. 
so they just said well we've got a spare delivery suite like that we very rarely use because it's like for emergencies only kind of thing and um and so they actually said you know because of how you're feeling and what you've just been through we'll put you in there and they just left us in there overnight together because they weren't allowed to send me home mm. um and so they were really really good to us actually because I just literally I, I just broke down into tears you know when everything like comes to a head and then you're going to just be left on your own after having all those people and not being able to move and you feel awful. Oh, and you're traumatised. Really yeah, they were, they were just amazing. And they left us in there just for the night. Um, and then in the morning I got up and, and it was almost like I didn't have a baby. It was strange. And so I was like, I'm just going to go home and get some things. And mm. if I said, would you want us to ring and check on your little boy? You know, I think we'd been to see him for about two minutes, but it was almost like he wasn't, not that he wasn't there because you knew he was but you've done your bit kind of thing and yeah it's gone that's what that's what I felt like um it was really weird I felt like I'd given a birth for someone else I can't explain it it was like right well I just uh, and it was so weird because your body knows you've given birth and it knows a baby should be around and for me on the delivery suite um after I got wheeled up there was it the delivery warden so there were babies crying all night all I could hear was that and then mum's like oh come here little one and you know oh congratulations I could hear that through all the curtains and I was thinking I just felt like I don't know I just it was a horrible feeling a really horrible feeling I remember I had to go there when they were discharging me from hospital and and they sat me on a just a, a chair in the delivery suite and there's all these people with like loads of people around the bed with the birth of the new baby and like you say, it's just the worst place they could put you, isn't it? it you know, it, mm. mentally, that it, it takes so much to sit and listen to all of that when, when your baby's in the neonatal unit. And you don't even know if they're okay either, because no. like, you t- I, I mean, I had been given like loads of morphine and stuff like that afterwards, and I just remember, like, I didn't even know. I honestly didn't know what was going on really, but I just remember thinking. God, this this is really horrible, you know. Like listening to people like and seeing balloons and families coming to visit, and I didn't even know what my son looked like, you know. Yeah. Like it was yeah. like it's, it's an awful feeling. It's such a weird feeling. I mean, we were very lucky that I literally was only there for like five ten minutes. I didn't have to stay on there because yeah. we've got the neonatal unit once once I was able to. But um, had those nurses not been so good that night, I would have been there. Um, but when they come to discharge me a few days later when I was going home, um, that, that was just the worst feeling. I was only there for 10 minutes. So I, I really feel for anyone who's, you know, there for that long period of time. And I think that is the bit that I don't know how else they could do it as a hospital and as in a trust and thing, but it is so hard. Very, very hard. It is, it is. And I think, um, I think it's, it's, it's just the the whole thing really. And then, I mean, what, did you go and see Harry the next day then, did you? Did you, were you able to just walk down there and kind of go and have a... I think, I remember he was born at five o'clock, one minute past five he was born on, on, um, you know, on the day he was born. And they gave me a tea and toast and they'd stitched me all up and everything. And I'd managed to have a bit of a shower and got myself some like clean pajamas on and stuff. And I think they wheeled us up that night to have a look. And I remember going into the neonatal unit thinking that that can't be my baby that like, it can't be him because like, he looks like a pepper army. His skin was red and like, he was just so like long arms and so skinny. And it's what an awful thing to think about your child. Like I remember thinking he's like a pepper army. Like, 
and they were saying, you know, this is him, but because you've not seen him and you've not had that time, it was just really strange. It's not that you just, you don't care because you do care, but mm. it's like, a, you're almost like a bit disconnected from it. Oh. It's real. It's, Right. No, you're, like you're in another world it's Ex- exactly right that's exactly what I felt like as well I mean I, I, uh, when I went to go and see George because I had the c-section I think I had to, we, we wheeled in there and I remember um, one of the nurses was changing his nappy and I yeah. was like and I remember thinking like oh that's he's not mine because like I saw another woman with him I don't know why but it just remembers in my head and they were all they were doing an amazing job but I just remember thinking like he doesn't need me like he doesn't actually need me he can you know like when you've kind of carried them for so long and to be honest with you it did like the bond um you know it took a long time to get that because I believe like of everything that went on it was just just that kind of thing I found it quite difficult um to connect yeah it always feels a while for thinking that your mum doesn't it Mm. yeah yeah but I do remember, yeah, I remember that feeling, thinking, he, you know, and I, like you said, he'd wheeled me up as well. And, and I sat there for a few minutes and it was like, right, we can go back now because y- you feel like you, you're you looking in on someone else's life a bit, I suppose. It's yeah. Really- and, and as well, it's almost like I felt the neonatal nurses never made me feel like this, by the way, just to put it out there. But I felt like I was in the way. You know, like um, when he was in the the thing, because I couldn't take him out yet, you see, because he was struggling. He was on breathing support. Is it CPAP? Yeah. Um, And um, he had those goggle things on. I mean, I didn't still know what he looked like by this point. I was like, does he look like me? Does he look like Danny? It was all kind of, and I still couldn't see him properly, but we couldn't get him out. Um, I remember that. Um, and I asked the lady, Can, am I all right to hold his hand? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And I remember thinking, oh, it's horrible having to ask. Um, but then I went and put my hand in and stuff. And then I was like, back up. And it, you're away, aren't you? Because you're still trying to recover yourself. Um, and you're trying to do, still deal with that trauma that you had, you know, with the whole birth. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just such a, it's so hard to explain, isn't it? It's Mm. you feel I, I do always remember in, in the neonatal unit staff are just absolutely 100% amazing I've got not not one bad thing to say about any of them no but it is strange that you you say to them you know can you pass my baby to me or can I hold his hand does he need his nappy changing and do you remember how to weigh the nappies when they were first what's that sorry we had to weigh nappies so we had to know how much they, they needed to like write down if we'd had a wet nappy or a dirty nappy or how much the, oh, it went, yeah. you know, to know what liquid was going through the body and make yeah. sure make sure everything was working all right, I suppose. But they used to like weigh all the nappies to see how heavy they were and things like that. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. I well, forgot like little jobs to do for your own child. So obviously they did everything they could to help you feel involved and to, and to help that connection but it obviously they're they're in charge really aren't they because they know best for the, the you know the baby's exactly. welfare and, and medical side of things that you do end up asking them everything don't you yeah you do and it's scary and I think remembering um when when you first go in there there's like um you know when they're on that CPAP it's like a heart machine isn't it it's quite scary like the oh, beep beep yeah 
babe. Yeah. And honestly, it makes you feel like, oh my God, like they're on life or death here. And to be honest, because the neonatal nurses are, like you said, they were absolutely amazing, but they can't promise you something that they don't even 100% can guarantee. So I remember saying like, well, when can you come home? And they were like, well, we can't say, but we aim for due date. And I was like, but that's ages away. And, yes. it's, and it was like, oh my God. And then you had to pass all these different tests, you know, like the be able to um, breathe on his own, then be able to feed and hold it down. And I think there was keeping it, um, I think there was making sure he could regulate his own temperature. and Yeah, with a heated mattress and everything. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I remember when I'd had George, the like, I never planned on breastfeeding. It's just not something that I ever, I mean, God, I love it, people doing it. It's brilliant. But it just wasn't something that I felt was for me. Um, but after he was born, they were like, look, he needs that liquid kind of thing. So I just remember being hooked up to this machine in like the back room of the neonatal thing, just like, you know, with it like doing your boobs, like trying to suck out this colostrum. And yeah. I was just like, oh, oh my God. And I managed to get like the tiniest bit. And I just felt like, I felt, I remember feeling like I would just, my body had completely failed me. Um, And I remember feeling like, God, I can't even carry a baby, you know, like properly. And I can't even get the milk out properly. I just remember feeling like I was the one that let everyone else down. Yes. Um, and, it, and as a woman and a, a mum as well, I think you just feel like, I felt like I'd given him the worst start, even though it wasn't my fault. Um, but that, that's what I felt like. And it just, this, this mum guilt just was awful. Yeah, I think that's a big thing that you feel, isn't it? And it's, some people say out loud and some people hold it inside, but you kind of think, well, why is it? Is it my fault? Is it? But I think the biggest thing that I learned straight away was like, it's not, sometimes these things just happen and you can't blame yourself you can't beat yourself up you've just got to move on yeah lift yourself up and hold your head high that you Mm. you know you've given them the best start that you could do and um you know at at that time for whatever reason anything's happened Mm. I learned very quickly kind of you can't kind of dwell on that you've just got to take each day as it comes and take the little positive that in life you know every time Harry pulled his feeding tube out I was like yeah come on little fighter and yeah I love that I love that Rachel because the thing is there's not because that there's not many people that have had premature babies in the grand scheme of things really when you look at it like I think of my friends and you know there's not many people so it's not like you can say to someone oh, this is happening there, like, oh, it'll be all right, because you just don't know at that time. So every baby's different, aren't they, like you say? Mm. One baby's been through this and, and that's happened. doesn't mean so that that will happen to the next baby. And Yeah, it's hard because you just want, you're so used to kind of saying to your friends, oh, this is happening, and then reassure you, but no one can really reassure you in this kind of scenario. Um yeah. Um, a lot of the time and I remember I mean you did 100% right you know positive thinking and and being like that I was just felt like a shadow of my former self like I don't know I almost in, kept getting these negative thoughts like and I think that was down to the baby blues as well but I kept getting these horrible thoughts and um, it was just not nice it was like I just felt all the time just so guilty and then sometimes I'd forget to ring this is the part where once we got home obviously the nursery was already was your nursery ready or not 
he actually didn't really have his own room until we moved. He could have done, but because we lived kind of not a bit further away from everyone and he was going to be moving into the spare room, we ended up obviously had his cut in our room for ages. But then just in case we needed to use a spare bed, he kind of just ended up with a cot next to a bed. So it was it was his room, but it wasn't. So we didn't have a nursery to get ready. It sounds awful, doesn't no, it? No, do you know what? <laughs> I, I Honestly, I wish we didn't in a way because we came home and that was just like the drive away from the hospital was weird because you're like driving home what should be with your baby and you're having to leave them with, you know, you know, with the neonatal nurses, which obviously you trust them fully because they're amazing, but that was horrible. Yeah. And then, like, I just started getting on with daily life. Like, I just tried to keep myself busy. And occasionally I'd forget to ring. And I felt yeah. like the worst mum in the world. Like, had I rang enough? Had I not rang? And then, oh, it was awful. And then sometimes I'd ring in the middle of the night because I'd just wake up and think, where's my baby? It was so yeah. weird. yeah. I used to ring a lot um, if I because obviously they say um, if you if you like expressing and things you've got to keep a really good routine and keep the flow going. So like you say with the, the expressing machines, we'd started expressing and then they sent me home with one of the machines. And you know I, di- I didn't I didn't really have any plans whether I was going to breastfeed or not. I just went with what my body wanted to do really. Yeah. So I took this expressing machine home. I ended up buying a new fridge freezer because I'd expressed that much milk. It was a deal. <laughs> That's amazing. But I used to, you know, you'd say, like, get up in the middle of the night and express. So I used to have to, you know, when most people would have a baby waking up, I used to set an alarm to get me up in the middle of the night because I just need to get rid of the milk out of my body. And I, I remember coming, like, downstairs in the middle of the night to get all, the, like, my milking machine out and then start messing with bottles and and it was weird and it was nice that you were doing it for your little one mm. although like I say I've not kind of had my heart set that's what I was going to do I was just going to see what, what me really at the time mm. and yeah and I was just, you know I remember other people really struggling for milk and stuff and then I'd be walking in with these big bags of it to like put in the freezer and stuff and, and give them a fresh milk for the day and oh, other yeah. people were struggling I used to feel awful because I you know it's not my fault I was doing so well but it's not their fault that they couldn't I know it's so bad isn't it it's so bad because then I know well I was one of them that could not for the life of me get anything and then I'd beat myself up about that then and that probably made it worse to be honest um but I just um and then you'd go in the kitchen bit and you'd see I like all this milk for these babies and you're just like it's like a golden nugget you open that fridge and you're like wow what a lucky baby mine I can't even get anything out and then you it was just awful like kind of beating yourself up and stuff and and then you feel like you said like when George started kind of coming up off the um CPAP the breathing thing and there was another baby that got born around the same time that wasn't off it you'd feel awful then because you just think oh god like you don't want them to think that their one's behind but then there'd always be another one in front of your one as well yeah so, it isn't it because they, they had the different rooms didn't they um do you remember the different rooms yeah. so, like there was like the intensity like room one so that's where they go when they were first born and then once they were doing so many things and they could maybe move out the incubator into the cot they'd move to a different room and and they like moved along the rooms didn't they in the, the more they moved along the rooms, the closer they were to home. I remember that. Um, oh, yeah. There was a little boy born at the same time as Harry, same prematurity, everything. They were, like, so identical. And sometimes he would move ahead a few days and 
but then next minute he might move to a different hospital for a bit because he'd gone downhill a bit and it was like you say it's so awful to it, it, to either think that your baby's the one behind or one ahead and you just always feel for everybody else don't you because it's like a little community if you're like a team all just fighting to get out of there um and um I remember um as well feeling guilty because I'd had a c-section I couldn't drive um so I'd have to ask like friends and mum for lifts and stuff like that my mum and dad obviously they didn't mind but then it was like well I can't expect them to drop me off and pick me up and then drop me off and pick me up again. So like, I'd only go in the afternoon. Um, and then I remember someone making a comment like, oh, you're not there all day. And I remember thinking, what should I be? I just didn't know where, what I should be doing. Like, I didn't know what was the right thing to be doing. Resting um, because I didn't feel right still. Or should I have been sat at that car 24-7? Because the thing that I didn't like about being in there is the little alarms that would go off sometimes. And if George's alarm a couple of times went off, um, it was because it slipped off or something like that. But I just, my heart just, oh, it was frightening. It was just like, I didn't know what to do. Like, and I'd shoot up and I just didn't like being in there listening to that beeping and, oh. Yeah, and and all the babies have the mom, don't they? There's always alarms going off. And like you say, your heart ends up in your mouth and, and the nurses are just so calm with it because they know what it'll be. And obviously they deal with it all the time. Mm. But your heart's always in your mouth, isn't it? It is, it is. And so I went there and I went there with a book. But then I thought, well, if I'm there with a book, I obviously think too much. But I was like, if I'm there with a book, should I not be staring at him? Should I not be? I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what the right thing to do was. And also, I think as well, you kind of think, what should I be doing for them? Will they think I'm a bad mum if I didn't come in that night? Or would they think I was a bad mum if I had a wine? You know, like, because at one night, I remember I was in there and I remember um, I couldn't breastfeed. So at that point, that was off the cards. But I remember yeah. our friend said, we want to take you out for a meal. And they came to see him. And then we went out for a meal. And my friend was like, look, you just have a glass of wine. You'll feel better. And then I felt awful because I was like, oh my God, will they know? Will they know I've had a glass of wine? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I was just, I couldn't. Couldn't, couldn't find where I should be. I wasn't that confident to yeah. know what. And I remember thinking, um, like, will they think I've not been in enough? Or, you know, like, and it's silly, really, because they, every mum is different and every mum needs different, you know, I had a lot of recovering to do. Um, so, but it's just it's just hard. Yeah, and it's, as well, it's, I think sometimes people forget about themselves in the situation. And like you say, you've, you've got to if you don't look after yourself then where are you for them and and that's something always to remember you know in circumstances like that you've got to you know you can't always be sat there sometimes you have to just be doing something for yourself or Mm. I remember my cousin had taken me to like at one point she was like I'm going to come and pick you up and we're just going to go out for a few hours and she took me to Ribby Hall and we did an epithermal journey and and at the time, you know, I was thinking, oh, is this what I need? But I really did. I just needed to sit and talk to someone and not have my phone and not, and just have that few hours where I switched off and I could just recover a little bit and just yeah. get the rest a bit and just chat about rubbish. Yeah. Um, you really do have to, you know, if you're not there for your little one because you're not looking after yourself, then you'll not be there for them either. And so you do have to remember to look after yourself as well and, um, and I think the neonatal staff they try and encourage that as well don't they you know have yeah. a night 
go out and see your friends you know as long as it's not all you're doing and you, you know there's a big mixture of everything mm. but it is a juggling act it's a huge juggling act I remember I used to sit next to Harry's uh, bedside and do my online shopping <laughs> I love that <laughs> I used to do like my uh, because we, you could obviously order and have your food shopping delivered I used to sit and think right well about 11 o'clock at night the neighbours must have hated me yeah oh, come and deliver all my groceries because I know I'll be home by then and, oh you know, no uh, you, you just have to pick your moments and juggle everything don't you as well as being there but also you know caring for yourself at the same time it really really is true because I think that's it it's just like you know making sure you're on top form for when when they do come home and I mean I remember when it first was in there you didn't know how bad it was because I don't know about you but I was like so so will he be okay they were like he's very poorly and I was like right so we're gonna have to give him I don't know whether Harry had to have it but they had to give him a something from a pig that sounds really weird but it was like this um this cat his lungs hadn't produced they hadn't grown enough or they yeah. weren't mature enough. So they had to give him this fat. And I can't remember what it was exactly. And I don't want to get it wrong on here, but they had to give him something um, to see if his lungs could mature a little bit more. Um, wow. And luckily it had worked. But when they said he was very poorly, you just, your first question is like, what does that mean though? Is he going to get better? And and I suppose they don't even know at that stage, do they sometimes? Uh yeah, it's really, really strange. I, I remember I had injections because when I was in labour to mature his lungs. The steroids. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had that. They were painful, those. Yeah, and I don't, yeah, they were, weren't they? But I, I don't remember him having anything. Not to say that he didn't, um, but, yeah, I can't remember that. I remember him being having a little operation to have... Um, it was like a really, really thin line put into his vein, a very... Um, being pushed into his vein to feed feed him or something that took a couple of hours I do recall that yes fed him for a little bit until he could kind of have milk and stuff like that yeah Um, I remember that actually line obviously it wasn't a fishing line but there was that many wires and things but I do recall that my grandparents had once um they come see him and it was like oh we're just gonna have to go for a coffee whilst this happens because they just need to do this and it's the right time and and it was super um dangers of infections and things or something like that it was a safer way of feeding him I remember that actually yeah and I'm sure I'm sure it's maybe to give them fluids or yeah something like that to keep them keep them feeding yeah like you said because at first they're not feeding from how do they I can't even remember how they were giving the food oh it's through the tube wasn't it down yeah. to the throat and then it went through the tube and he had a tube Oh uh, yeah, down his nose and into his stomach. That's the one he always used to pull out. Oh them. god, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, George used to do that as well. It used to make me cringe every time. It was like, yeah. oh god, yeah. yeah. It is. It is a really, really hard time. But the good news is, obviously, we're chatting today, and our little boys. Yours is at preschool, and George yeah. is at school, and you know they're doing great, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you you wouldn't. I don't think you'd look at either of them now and think they were prem, would you? No. Just doing amazing. They really are. They really yeah. are. When, um, How long were you in the neonatal for then, Rachel? So we did eight weeks. He came home. He was due home. He was due originally on Boxing Day. So obviously they were kind of aiming for like getting home for Christmas. And he actually came home the start of December. Oh, amazing. 
Yeah, yeah. And then obviously, but when you come home, it's a really funny one because I remember them saying, you know, if you, if you don't listen to these instructions, you don't have to. There's nothing saying that you do have to, but we give you this advice because it'll keep you safe, and especially with how Prem Harry was. And they were saying, you know, he, he's obviously been in, in the hospital and, and it's a very secure and safe environment. And so when you go home, you just don't have any visitors for a couple of weeks. Just stay inside. Don't take him anywhere. And mm. it was almost been in like lockdown, I suppose. And, um, you know, I couldn't have anybody in or anybody out. And they were saying otherwise you'll just be kind of signing your warrant card straight back to hospital because he'll pick up infections and he'll end up back, back in here to fight them so I remember taking it like very literally and mm. so although we'd come home and my husband would go to work and back but I would be at home with him and uh, you know I remember you know saying to everyone but you just can't come around for a bit and nobody I don't think anybody really understood some some people did to be mm. fair some people a lot more than others but then you'd get those others that are oh, she just you know she's just being silly she's been overprotective oh, you know, all judging you that you know, because they've not heard the nurse say it and they're all desperate to hold him and touch him and because he's not been able to do that at all in hospital. And then remember them all like, you know, you just have that, you know, they were all taking a bit of offence. Yeah. You, it was almost like you were calling them dirty or like... Which I is know. Not it's not the case, is it? At the end of the day, the number one priority is that is the baby being protecting him. Yeah, and I think everyone kind of forgot that it was all about them and wanting to hold him because they'd waited long enough now and, mm. and things like that. But literally for two weeks, we had nobody around. Um, and I used to wait for John to get home from work because I couldn't really go anywhere. And I used to be like, I just need to go out and walk the dog and, you know, you're going to have to look after him for, you know, I just need to get out and breathe a little bit. And, you know, because you couldn't just have that friend around for a coffee or you were literally just on your own and you know other people on the end of the phones it was a bit like being in lockdown really yeah uh, yeah and then I remember obviously then you could then slowly start to introduce people one at a time and with all these rules of hand washing and things and and people used to just used to like look at you and just be like so you know OTT and um and you just I think a lot I got a lot of guilt from that because people just didn't understand and I, I just used to think you know he's number one here not you and yeah it's hard it is I know I remember feeling feeling very similar really because people think that oh just let us round don't let anyone else but then once you let one lot of people round well you may as well you can't just do that can you it's like a rule between everyone yeah it's it's hard it's so hard and also when you are um a moment you finally get them home you do want to show them off don't you and you're just like it's not that you don't want to kind of have people around either because you do really need the help I mean how was your mental health after having a premature baby were you okay it was weird I, I would have said yes and for years I would have said yeah and people used to say you must have been so stressed in that situation and um you know, you just, I can't imagine how you're feeling. And at the time, do you know what? I just got on with it. Yeah. I didn't see anything wrong with my mental health. I just got on with it. I dealt with it. I fought a lot of battles with people not understanding, if, you know, if you wanted to leave him with someone, maybe the routine that he had. And it wasn't with everybody, but you'd get a few people that you, you think you could trust to have him for an hour, you know, as he got a bit bigger and he needs this medication at this time and that at that time because he was very routine and then 
the little bits of doubt started to come in because they weren't really sticking to what you needed to have and stuff and so you were fighting a lot of battles and things like that but I think my mental health took a turn for the worse actually once I had my full-term baby a few years later and then since got diagnosed with postnatal depression because I think it almost came home really what we had been through so it was really delayed I think yeah gosh it's what what made it come after then then do you think I what? don't know I think obviously there's a lot of huge differences in having to maybe how she fights infections compared to how my little boy fought infections mm. routine and how you could get out and about and how you could do things and maybe like the support you felt and I think I felt more alone having the two of them than I have with Harry I think because everyone wanted to be around Harry and he was prem and he was like a big news story really I know that sounds ridiculous but yeah everyone wanted to have everyone wanted to have something to do with him and they all thought they could do better no, no, that's not true some of them thought that they could do better than what you could do and mm. that you would just be a bit like pedantic and a bit OTT and mm. you know mm. that you were making all this stuff up which is just not true and then it, it was almost like they weren't bothered about the second one but then that kind of it's it's I suppose it's made me really angry that not that they don't bother about it and that's not mm. the right thing but um it, it's just very I don't know it's really hard different. to put around what it is but it, it's just been really different and I think and, and it's probably always been there it's just been really buried because I've just been that busy just getting on with it and fighting all these little battles to kind of be like no I am right and I will stick to my guns look after my little boy mm. i baby number two's come along and you know and I love having the both of them and you know it's a little unit of four we've got a lovely little family and they're so good but at the mm. same time it's I think it's just really brought home all those big challenges that we did face really mm, uh, yeah I think it hits you in different ways yes yeah it um, really does yeah it's um my mine I did like suffer after after George I think I had like major like I just was terrified all the time I don't yeah. know why I just remember feeling really anxious all the time I did get postnatal depression which at the time I think you don't sometimes know you've got it you just feel like you're having a bad day every day <laughs> like yeah <laughs> just like but that that's yeah that's what it was like and I just didn't want to go anywhere I didn't want to see anyone my friends had just turned up at the house I'd think oh for god's sake I don't want to speak to them but they'd brighten my day um but um it is hard it's so hard because it's sometimes it's such a traumatic thing that you've been through having Mm. your baby early anyway unexpectedly you know I mean mine it started like although they kept saying oh he might come early I never really thought he would and then within half an hour of seeing like loads of blood thinking you were gonna die and then like kind of he's there and then he's gone you know like it was the whole process for me that I really really struggled with but you know I think everyone struggles for different reasons don't they and it might be if I was ever fortunate to have another one I might you know I might find that I don't suffer next time but everything's different isn't it and I think it's so hard as a mum because you're always kind of feeling like you want to do the best by everyone and everything yes yeah absolutely and I think my biggest thing was I I was really starting to take it to heart kind of what other people were thinking about me and I felt really judged all the time by um you know some people and people that you wouldn't expect to judge you and how they think that they can do it better than you and they think that they know it all Mm. and 
that was really hard for me to the point that I've now just switched off from it and I think they can think what they want because do you know what he's doing really well and that's because of me nobody else that's because of me and everything I've done and the way I've listened and you know and it, you, you do it's yeah you no know, one knows the child the baby more than the mother um I really do think you know you've grown them you know them and and like you know people may have done things differently in their day or you know when you know or their time around this time or whatever but it's it's your baby and it's your choice of how you choose to do things and sometimes you do just wish people would just kind of say nothing you know like just leave me to yeah, it yeah. <laughs> everyone just wants to give advice constantly don't they yeah yeah and, and for me I just kind of switched off from everybody what all these people were trying to give advice that didn't really know what they were talking about and I've just listened to the doctors and nurses and and they have just been right all the way along they've been so good um but it does it, it deep down somewhere it was affecting my mental health I think I just kept it I don't, I say I kept it hidden. I just don't think I realised it was there. I thought it was normal. And, yeah. and then, you know, after having Amelia and I'd just cry at the slightest thing. And I literally got to the point where there was days I just thought, you know, I could literally just walk out this house and just keep walking. Yeah. And there was no more thought process than that, other than this is too much pressure and I just need to walk away from it. Um, obviously now since being with the doctor and I was the doctor and, and lots of things going on with all of that and looking after myself more, um, in the grand scheme of everything I feel very distant from that now and you know I'm getting there with all of that but it does whether it's on something that you feel and and you notice or whether it's something really really hidden deep down inside I think it really does affect you it really does I mean I I just think talking about these kind of things does make you feel less alone as well and um and I just think, you know, don't expect yourself to be, you know, fighting fit, doing everything, getting back to the gym, doing all, don't put too much pressure on yourself. And also something that I wish I'd have done more is stop trying to make everyone else happy, make yourself happy and make your family happy, you know, your baby, your partner. But, you know, if, if other people, you know, just don't concern yourself with what other people think because for every person that thinks it one it's one way and you change that way someone else will think it should be done the other way so I just think do you know what no keep your opinions to yourselves if they're helpful fine if I've asked for it fine but you know try not to concern yourself too much with making everyone else happy because I think then in the long run, you're the one that isn't happy. Um, and, you know, and a happy mummy is a happy baby. One, one really bad decision I remember, and I'll always regret this. Obviously, he came home quite close to Christmas. So we had our few weeks at home uh, where no one could come and see him. And then people could start to come to see him. And I remember feeling this massive guilt that it was going to be Christmas Day. And we were, I wasn't really going to see my family. And I'd always gone to my mum's house with my brother and sister and everything else. And there was always this like family unit. And I knew she invited all these people for Christmas lunch. But I had this massive guilt that I'm not going to go and see them to give them the presents. And, and Harry's here. And we can see people just not in massive amounts. And we'd planned that we were going to get a takeaway for our Christmas dinner. And we were just going to have a really nice day. Anyway, I ended up, I just felt this massive amount of guilt because it was Christmas Day and, and why should I not be able to see everyone on Christmas Day because he's here and he's early. 
So in the end, we made the decision and I kind of pushed the decision a bit with my fiance. We're going to go and see them in the mornings, exchange presents and everything. And then before everyone arrives at my mum's for Christmas lunch, we're going to come away. Anyway, so we made this decision. We made all this effort and we came over and it's a decision that I've always regretted ever since. And it was all to do with literally trying to make other people happy. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, you know, I could have not gone, but I just felt this huge guilt. So I remember coming over and we all exchanged presents and everything. And then my mum was trying to delay. She was purposely kept saying to my fiance at the time, um, you know, kept, kept saying to his dad, you know, you need to stay and, and just help me do this. And she was delaying exchanging the presents, hoping that everyone would arrive and that I would just be like, oh, it doesn't matter, we'll stay, you mm. know, and we'll not rush back. Anyway, in the end, I ended up getting in a bit of a strap and I was like, no, we're going. I don't know how many times I need to tell you. We were coming across for an hour and then we were leaving. And so we were leaving as everyone was arriving because I was like, I'm going. I'm, I, like I was getting a bit in a state with, I thought, you know, this wasn't the plan. But because she couldn't understand where I was coming from and she was, I think she thought that, you know, if everyone would have got there, then it would have been all right. And I'd have just got over it, which wasn't the case at all. And like to this day now, we always say at Christmas, you know, like never do anything to make everybody else happy. It's about yeah. us. And, and us four and if we're happy and it, it sounds really selfish but after that experience I just think no you know it's, it's more special than that and it's different now because I've got my own children and no one's bothered about looking after them so we've got to do that so mm-hmm. yeah just, sometimes you've just got to watch that guilt creeping in and doing the wrong thing by feeling guilty by others because what matters is you and yeah. your baby you know partner and whatever and it is remember massively I know, and you'd never forgive yourself, you know, if they got ill or something. And it was, it's just, it is just doing what feels right, really. And like you said, you know, instead of doing that, I mean, we're all familiar familiar enough with Zoom nowadays anyway. Yeah. Uh, if anyone's listening to, well, I suppose if they are listening to this and, they, and they've gone through that or they're going through it at the moment, you know, you can do, you can do that. And with the lockdown and everything, you know, you've got a great excuse to stay away from people as well. Yeah, yeah, and as much as it is nice to, you know, to go and do things face-to-face with people, it does, you know, now having technology like this, it helps so much. Um, Yeah, yeah. It is hard. It is, it's so hard. And also with with the grandparents as well, I mean, we, we were quite, I mean, ours were really, really good. But I mean, what it is, is it's like you feel guilty if you see one set and not the other, or then you see, you know, like, you can't really it's so hard because you just want to make everyone happy so whatever you do for one side of the family you feel like you have to do for the other side of the family and yeah just it's just constant isn't it that battle in your mind I do remember having like I almost had a diary and I would literally book people in that you can come at this time and and we'd have maybe you know even in hospital and there'd be days where I'd be like I'm blocking that out because John's off work and it's his day off and therefore he's going to be with us and you know we're not having any visitors today because actually we just need to do something on our own and I literally used to have like a booking system and if you mm-hmm. turned up you coming in and people you know yeah yeah just me, but I just thought you know that it's important that we have time just us and and time to you know you don't want to blink and miss it you know you you have to otherwise everyone will just turn up at the same time mm-hmm. so I literally have this booking system and if you if you weren't on the list you weren't coming in and it sounds ridiculous but it meant that we got our quality time as well and also our time just to sit down and watch a film and just do nothing yeah. and doze on the sofa and things like that without yeah. 
that person knocking at the door any minute or waking baby up in, in the routine or anything so yeah yeah exactly and it is it's building that bond as well that we missed out on because yeah. I think that that tech can take not for everyone but it can take a little bit of a while yeah um, and for me it definitely did um yeah. obviously I loved him um so it definitely wasn't that I didn't it was almost strange though like I never really felt like it was mine for ages even when yeah. he was home um so it's just kind of having that time to be a family um, yeah. because otherwise you can end up with people around all the time and you're just constantly making brews for people and you think well I wouldn't mind cuddling my baby for a bit now <laughs> yeah that's it isn't it and it's just so important to say mm, and just shut the door on everybody else and just concentrate on yourselves that that was yeah. something that's so important for us yeah yeah absolutely and like you said just kind of making sure you know you're happy and you're content and then you know when you want to invite other people around get that done so yeah it was all it was all a very hard experience and it was important for me really to share this kind of episode today because I just think there's nothing out there for these kind of parents that are going through it I mean today there'll be premature babies born today that yeah. parents are just kind of like what the hell does this mean oh I don't know what they have to do will they be okay and both you and I both have little boys that are absolutely okay I mean your mm -hmm. son was born 12 weeks early mine nearly seven weeks early um and and they're both absolutely fine so harry has been doing some fundraising as well hasn't he he has yeah so um going back to obviously when everything happened we we kind of walked away wanting to give back in some way we didn't know how we'd do it we didn't know when we'd do it we just knew that one day the time would feel right to give something back from everything that you know we did and and they always the, the hospital staff as well as working they, they're always fundraising and doing raffles and little bits of things selling pens or different things like that to always be able to provide the little extras so from my understanding it is obviously the nhs provides all the medical side of things but sometimes it's just those little comfort things that would help premature babies be able to survive and just feel comfort. It might be a little blanket that you can swap with mum to have that smell and you can have two and just keep exchanging them. There was, I remember some bean bags that, that used to be weighted bean bags so that you felt like the hand was near them and, you know, just different things like that. So there was all sorts of things that they used to fundraise just to provide those little extra things that aren't necessarily a medical resource and they're not a necessity, but the, they're just a lovely thing and I, I remember them working so hard for that so at the start of or partway through lockdown I contacted the neonatal unit we've obviously not been there for a while to visit and I just let them know that we wanted to do some um fundraising for them for that pot of money you know to be able to provide all those little extras um for that Pacific hospital because they'd helped us with everything else and it even might be like a bit of a tea and coffee fund for parents in the waiting room or a book or you know whatever oh, it might be. lovely it was literally just to give back to those families those little extra things that helped them get through this situation and you know for them to spend however they saw fit really um so we set a challenge and it had to be a challenge how he loves walking he absolutely loves it he loves the outdoors and he's really for, before it's for someone who's just him for he was three at the time we did this um he, he just honestly when he, when he starts walking he just plods and and he, and he just carries on and we've we've always encouraged that just getting in the great outdoors you know walking up different hills and and he's just built on it really 
so the challenge we set was um about we, we always go camping up towards um the lake district and around lake Hullswater, and they've recently made a path all the way around it so you can literally walk all the way around the lake which is a 20 mile route all the way around so you can split it into four sections um and basically what we did we decided that 20 miles in one day might be a little bit too much for him so we did it over two sessions we took him on two camping trips over summer and on one of the days um on each camping trip we went a 10 mile walk for each one of them so it's not a particularly high hill as such you don't necessarily you're not walking to the summit of a, a massive hill but it's just a constant up and down route oh. um, from the lakeside you know and you literally can see the lake all the way around and so we did it into two 10 mile sections and over the two days I think he walked in less than 10 hours he'd, he'd walked his 20 miles um all together because we timed each section so we I think it was something like nine hours 37 minutes he ended up doing it in over two stints um, and we just had the most amazing time, you know, walking and singing. Oh, and, Patty loved you know, it. Nice and everything. He just absolutely loved it. And it, it, you could see, see that it took its toll on him, you know, on each walk. You could see him getting tired towards the end. And, it, you know, he really was pushing himself through that last mile each time. But both times, he literally walked every step of the way um, to raise money. So we'd set up a Just Giving page and... Um, we raised um, pretty much £1,500 for doing it. So it's just done an amazing job with that. Yeah. Oh, no, it sounds amazing. Absolutely amazing. And is that page still going then, Rachel? I think it's going. It ends sometime in November, although I can extend it um, oh. a little bit. But we've, we've kind of, we're, we're not far off the target of 1500 but then we do have some cash donations as well. So um, the the I must um, just add in as well that he's splitting the amount that he's raised with the charity playgroup that he goes to as well because they're quite struggling in the climate you know so he's splitting it between two charities that mean a lot to him and have helped him grow in confidence looked after him in his health and welfare and everything so he's splitting between the two but it is still open at the minute Um, he just giving forward slash harry dash hickson it is um, I'm pretty sure something along those lines we'll put the link on for you Rachel onto this episode so yeah that'd be amazing but we're literally just you know it's, it's just a way to give back and just to be able to help everybody else you know in, in it's only in a little way that you're helping really but it you know you just think if it can help everybody else who goes through that situation in any way shape or form and you know give the nurses a little bit of a rest that they've you know done some fundraising for this year um in that you know in a, in a climate where they can't do any fundraising really they normally do cake sales and big events for world premature baby day and things to just help that part of money stay you know floating i suppose um yeah. but they've not been able to do anything this year which must be so hard for them because the, you know those resources are still needed so it's just been so nice and it, it's felt like the right time to to do that challenge really and give something back which has Def- been great. Definitely. And the thing is, when we've used the facilities and stuff like that, there's just so many lovely, thoughtful things like the clothes. I mean, no one, not many people buy premature baby clothes, do they? Because you don't expect your baby to come. And I remember I just went with like absolutely loads afterwards because I just wanted to, for other parents to be able to just clothe their baby, you know, in nice yeah. little clothes and you know, and I gave absolutely loads back. But yeah, obviously other parents as well 
have given other things as well to support support them so yeah definitely absolutely amazing so we'll put the link on that and Rachel your your you run your own um baby business as well don't you so can you tell the parents a little bit about that yeah, absolutely. So I run a business called Boogie Beat Music and Movement. It is a franchise. It is across a lot of the UK as well. So you might have local classes if you're not around the Preston area, Preston and Blackpool area. But we're a music and movement class and we take children from birth all the way to six, seven years old. So we'll work within classes in the community. We take children into care homes and do intergenerational sessions there. We do birthday parties. And we also work in schools and nurseries. So there's a, a massive range of different workshops that we can do and, and different ways that we can come across people. But it's all about the basis of music and movement and telling traditional stories, putting all that music and the movement into the stories and, and bringing everyone's imagination to life through the nursery rhymes. It's all really, really traditional, very traditional stories, but just absolutely magical. And it's something that I set up when Harry was really little. I bought into the franchise then. and it's just grown him in confidence so much. It really helped open his imagination um, and just really express himself. It built his confidence and, and his, his confidence and an ability around like story time and, and just other people doing activities and just, you know, there's so many things that we cover throughout the classes. It's so active and lively. We never sit down for too long um, and everyone can just take it at their own levels. So if you've got a newborn baby or even a prem baby, you come in somewhere that, the teacher like genuinely understands from first-hand experience of how it feels to have that prem baby but wanting to get out of the house and do those activities um yeah and it's just absolutely it makes me feel so good being able to bring that joy to everybody else throughout the yeah and and just teach children and you see them week by week growing confidence and want to come and do some activities with you and to make obviously you know so important for mums to make friends with other mums and grandparents bringing children along we just have so much fun oh yeah I absolutely loved it I've actually written a review on your classes which I'll put that link on in the show notes as well so people can have a read about what what it's like to come to your classes because they're absolutely brilliant George absolutely loved them and I did see a lot of childminders there um grandparents it was just really really nice so yeah brilliant classes and they're going to be they're available via zoom aren't they as well during the at the moment Yes, at the moment we've moved everything to Zoom so that we can still have loads and loads of fun. And we had a class on Friday. I wasn't sure how it would work on Zoom with babies, but actually it was really, really good fun on Friday. You could see them all happy and smiling. It was just amazing. And it just makes you feel so good and gives you an activity to do for me, you know, indoors while we're in lockdown. But as soon as we come out of lockdown, we are ready to go back to those face-to-face sessions as well, because it is obviously important to have that connection as and when we can do. Um, but until then, you know, the, the Zoom classes is just going really, really well at the moment. And they're just so much fun. Brilliant. Thank you so much, um, Rachel, for being a guest today on Fifty Shades of Motherhood. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I just really hope that, you know, obviously what we've been through and things um, c- can help somebody or, you know, just make that little bit of difference. And, I, you know, I would always say that if anybody ever wants to, you know, chat about anything, if they're going through that experience and they just want to talk, then you know please contact me and I'd more than happily you know do anything I can to help anybody really and and just be a shoulder to to listen sometimes it's just what you need isn't it someone who's been through that experience yeah definitely and just that reassurance as well that you're trying desperately to get and of course with the neonatal um, nurses and stuff they can't really you know they wouldn't want to 
kind of do that just in case. So it can feel a bit sometimes like, oh, I just want reassurance from somewhere. Well, me and Rachel are available and we can give you plenty of reassurance. So please do feel free to message either of us um, on that. So thank you, Rachel. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of 50 Shades of Motherhood. My aim is to support free chat around motherhoods, uncensored, unhinged and unapologetic mum chats. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends about it. The more listeners we get, the more subscribers we get, the more chance we've got of getting series three done. So, I look forward to speaking to you next time and keep your eyes peeled on our social pages to find out who our next guest is. I'm sure you will love it. We have a really special offer today and I'm so excited to share it with you, the ultimate giveaway. Do you want to receive one of our planners for free or would you like access to our Instagram growth course worth £59? At My Bump to Baby, we are massively passionate about making sure parents have the protection in place that they need should the worst happen. If you choose to book in with your nearest family law solicitor today to have a look and a chat about your will, or if you book in with your financial advisor to review your family protection or your pension, we will give you access to either our Instagram course with £59, or we will send you one of our amazing planners completely free of charge. To qualify for this, all you need to do is fill in the form at the bottom of this podcast and we will book you in with your nearest advisor. You don't need to take out a policy and you don't need to take out a will. It's just simply having a chat to make sure that you have the protection that you need should the worst happen. We are so excited to bring you this offer and we hope you take advantage of it because protecting your family is the most important decision that you could make today.